Hey folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic themes. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome everybody. We've been away for a while, but uh, Dan actually did record one while we were away, and I still have not even gotten to download it and put it together and put it on the website yet. But So you'll probably get this one and a one... A, Danny's a one-off solo yeah. one uh, at the same time. Whenever we, whenever I get that going, I've just been really busy. Which, by the way, um, that was like I did all the the uh, I, I did the whole recording and did the cuts and everything. It should be ready to go as far as putting on there. It's just doing really? a quick write-up and stuff. How'd you put the music on? Well, the same way you would. I used Audacity. You don't have the music. I used my own music. You can't just put your own music. Take a listen. What do you mean your own? Like something you wrote or well, something no. you played? I just, what I mean is I just, I used music. Actually, okay. Copyright wise. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it, you don't have to worry about copyright. It's an old piece. What do you I mean had, old? It's, it's a classical piece. Like Mozart? Old? Yeah, not but it's not Mozart, okay. but but old like that. And I had my son play it and record for me, and I used okay. that. Okay, I asked him about about playing our theme song for us, and he said a, he said maybe, and then he kind of backed off, and I never did talked he, to him about it again. Did you? So are you? Did you talk to him about composing a theme song or playing the one that you've been using? Playing the one we've been using. Oh, okay. I don't think he understood that. And it's just, uh, that is the Ave Maria, the one they call St. Cecilia's Ave Maria. I don't know why they call it St. Cecilia's. Okay. I mean, she okay. was like in the second century, wasn't she? Yeah, really early. We wouldn't have any music that she wrote. But right. she. I think she's the patron of musicians or something. Of singers. Okay. So that... I guess that was written in honor of her, and I found the sheet music, and I put it together in a little program to see if I could make it sound kind of cool, and there's no actual uh, uh, instruments in it, but that's what okay. came out. It happened five years ago, not five years, probably 15 years ago, and then I needed a theme song to open the show, and I knew I wouldn't have to pay for that one, so that's what I used. Okay. That's how uh, we yeah, came he up might be able to do that because because I talked to him and I thought I think he was under the impression that you were asking him to come up with some kind of composition. No, I just thought it would be nice to hear it on a piano and maybe even uh, put it on the piano and then take what I have now for accompaniment. Accompaniment. Oh, accompaniment right. the, the guy yeah, who plays a guitar. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, anyway. you know what? So I think. I think we should talk about something real quick first because uh -huh. we talked about it once and then when we recorded our uh, one about St. Francis, which we never produced because Have it just wasn't all that great. Right. Um, so we never – we brought it up again then and set some records straight. But so nobody out there has heard that. And I think oh. we need to talk about it on one that's actually going to be played. And okay. that was – a long time ago, we started talking about them burning down statues or 
taking down statues of Civil War heroes. Southern uh, specifically. Confederate. Confederate Civil War heroes. War. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we kind of said, we well, had, uh, it's not too bad. You know, we, we kind of were, yeah. were sort of, uh, yeah, we, we didn't, <clears throat> but, but we, we didn't condemn we, it. We didn't condemn it. And, and of course, the thing is, we were, um, talking about it and we were, um, failing. We, we didn't condemn it in the context of, uh, the, just the question of, deciding to take them down as as a um you know through a i guess what you call legal procedure or whatever yeah when we were talking about that and 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 neglecting to condemn it we we weren't talking about about mobs i don't right. think right we were talking about the idea of people calling for them to be removed going through whatever you know appropriate civil procedures right. and stuff but i i I think I completely got that wrong for for two different reasons. Um, number one, the kind of person who makes it a campaign to take down a statue is never happy. And it never stops with that statue. That's true. And the same people who wanted those statues removed are now burning Bibles. Yeah, that's true. That it went and from Civil War heroes to, I mean, went from Southern Civil War heroes to all, uh, I don't know, what, it was almost like Everyone. anybody, anybody Anyone white, in history. anybody significant in history who was white to anybody who is depicted as white, even though they probably weren't completely strictly white in the modern sense, like Jesus, to yeah. now we're burning Bibles and torching churches. Yeah, um, and I just it, it's 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 odd how I I don't I do my proper research, but usually on any one of these subjects, I have a gut feeling, and it almost always turns out to be right. The same way I had, well, we both had gut feelings on this whole COVID thing at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. We said something, and we're still sticking to our guns on that, yeah, even though most of the world has gone crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and and I think what I had said is we don't really have a horse in this race because we're not Southern and don't see the the admiration Southerners have for these people. But that's the other reason that I think I was wrong is that look I I don't know I didn't know the people personally. Yes, they were slave owners or at least some of them. Not all of them were even slave owners. But um, they weren't known for being slave owners, and they weren't great at being slave owners. But yeah, people like Robert E. Lee, he was a great military strategist, and he had guts. I, I don't know where you draw the line and say you can't say this is a great man because he owns slaves. Right. And I, maybe someday well, we should or, do a show just about that. But yeah. It, it might, and sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes it's less. Um, uh, how can I put this? People want to remain connected with their history, even if some of that history involve involves things right. that needed to be repudiated. Um, I'll give you an right. example. So, so when I was in Russia, we were in the the town of, of uh, Pskov, which is a um, you know a city of. 
I don't know. I want to say about three hundred thousand, maybe. But but you know we um, we we I think it's Scove that that this was the case. They have a a statue of Lenin, which and he actually stayed there for a while. Uh, they uh, in fact I took a tour of the uh, apartment that he lived in, and they have a statue which even though the people themselves you know they're not bolsheviks i mean it's not like you could call them capitalists if you go there and look at how they how they are and how they operate they're they're you know they haven't caught onto you know our our kind of free market capitalist system but they as a people repudiate the bolshevism um you know that led them into the the uh you know the communist darkness and that kind of stuff but as a town, they voted to retain the statue because they wanted to not just throw away their history. Yeah. So there's that too. That that is a, a I think that's a legitimate sentiment for right uh, for a, a people to have. So anyway, yeah. That, that's, you want another um, example? Uh, Tecumseh mm. was mm-hmm. an Indian who uh, his goal was to eliminate the white man from North America. He didn't want to just beat us or keep us in our cities. He wanted to continue to keep pushing literally until he could push us out into the ocean and we'd be gone. Mm -hmm. And he had every intention of killing every white person in the Americas. Uh, You can't call him a good man. I mean, I guess you could call but you could call him a great warrior. And a, and a military strategist. And I see no reason not to have uh, statues of Tecumseh. Uh, you could even... Um, and name towns after him. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to say. There's even a... a if, you, if you look at it from a, a kind of a perspective history, you could even um, admire a, the what I'm going to call the, a, a natural, um, not supernatural, but natural nobility of his intentions with regards to his commitment to his people that he saw being, right. uh, you know, um, right. infringed. So, and, and if, uh, yeah, I, yeah, you can name towns after you can put statues. Uh, we name, we name engines after him. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and all this boils down to this, these people did something to become famous, and they were mm-hmm. great at doing those things. And to the people who want to tear all that down, let me just ask you, what the hell have you done? Yeah, what makes you point. so great that you can say we can't have a statue to this person? You mm-hmm. go out there and do something great and then tell us that we should take the statues down. Make a life for yourself first. That's all, that's all I'm going to rant on that subject, but I thought... Right. Because we said it in public, it bears uh, yeah, talking about again. A little again. bit of, uh, yeah, 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 good point. Okay, but today we're going to talk about another great person. That's right, uh, that's right. St. Joan of Arc. Yeah, very, uh, they're very short life. I mean, you know, talk about uh, talk about a shooting star. Um, you know, her, her uh, she herself uh, only lived to, you know, about 18 years, uh, 19 years. And her, um, her, I guess her real public life um, was only like 
two years. You know, two years. everything that she did that she's famous for happened in a, in the space of a couple of years. I didn't know that. I thought it was a. I thought it was more than that. Yeah. No. No. That's. I mean, there's, 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 and it's really, you know, there's two parts. There's her military campaign, and then there's her trial. Um, but yeah. we'll, we'll we'll get to all that. Um, but you know, she's she's interesting to me in today's world for a, for a couple of other reasons that um, that I'll also talk about later. But um, I think she's a fitting saint to um, to look at and and consider uh, the question why not only why did God choose her, but why did God choose her mission? Why did God choose anybody for the mission that she seems to have been called to? It's one. It's a. It's a strange one when you ask that particular question. And we're talking about like the the preservation of France. Yeah, the French Indian. The the uh, not French Indian. The uh, Hundred Years' War between French and, uh, France and England, and and that's the setting. The you know the the um, the French um, crown was. Uh, always held by well from about um late uh 10th century uh was held by the uh, okay everybody i am going to butcher names i am not french i have not had even a single classroom session of french language training so please just forgive me i'll say a lot of these things and in a in a uh straightforward midwestern um, pronunciation and and just to give you all a, a notion of what I mean, uh, we have a city here in Indiana, uh, and it's spelled V E R S A I L L E S, and of course we call it Versailles, Versailles. Yeah, yeah, instead of Versailles. Even uh, if you we, live there, even if you live there, it's called Versailles. We have another city, M I L A N. It's not Milan. It's Milan. Okay, so Midwest, just please forgive us for this. So yeah. anyway, okay. Since since about the tenth century, the French was uh, France was ruled by the the House of uh, I'm going to say Capet C A P E T. Um, the uh, last Capetian king Charles the Fourth, uh, who was Philip the Fourth's uh, son, uh, passed away without leaving any. Um, heirs who could inherit the throne. In fact, Philip had like three sons, all of whom passed without leaving any heirs. Um, and after the uh, death of Charles IV, the rule of uh, France passed to the house of Valois, V-A-L-O-I-S, uh, who were descended from a younger brother of Philip, but they weren't descended in a way that allowed them to be considered um, the house of, of Capet. Well, starting with okay. Edward III, the kings of England began to claim the French crown uh, on the basis that they were the closest relatives of the last direct Capetian king, Charles IV. That was around 1337, and so these wars had been going, you know, this war, these battles for the, the uh, crownship of uh, France had been going on uh, back and forth. At the time that it started... You know, people would have thought England would be crazy to engage France in any kind of military aspect. I mean, France at the time was 
the biggest, most financially wealthy, and most populous state in Europe. Um, but the English army used various um, battle tactics, uh, especially their use of the longbow, that allowed them to defeat larger armies, and they very quickly became a military force to be reckoned with. So it's in the context of this Hundred Years' War, about 80 years into it, um, that Joan is born. Her father is uh, Jacques d'Arc. He's a peasant farmer, um, poor but not needy. Um, She was the youngest of five children. Uh, Never learned to read or write. That's kind of interesting. Everything that, that happened within her life happened without her being able to read and write. It it was only her own knowledge and memory and and prompting and so on and so forth. Um, It's said that she was very pious as a child and loved the poor. Around the time that she turned 13, she began to hear voices. And this is the thing that everybody knows her for is is her voices. Um, Some people try to make it out like, oh, well, she became 13. She was, you know, reaching adolescence. There was some kind of mental illness that she had and it manifested in various voices. And that's why she ended up doing the things that she did. Um, I think when we look at the whole picture of what she did and some of the things that occurred and what she said and how they related to things that happened afterwards, we kind of have to call that theory hogwash. Um, Joan of Arc is the real deal. Um, so, and, and it's interesting at first it was just one voice and then later she began to be able to hear different voices and distinguish them. And at her trial, she had even said that she could tell who was speaking to her. It might be St. Michael or St. Margaret or St. Catherine. She never quite revealed how she knew who the voice was, but she said, yeah, she, she could tell the different voices from each other and knew who was speaking to her. Um, but from the start, did they identify themselves to her? Or She doesn't say. She just said she knew okay. who was speaking. Almost like she was okay. given the knowledge, you know? Like like yeah. the knowledge of who was speaking was was part of the gift of hearing voice the voice. Itself. Yeah. Um, so the, the thing is, they, <laughs> by 1428, and, you know, she was born in 1412, so she's, you know, 16 maybe 17 by now, she was certain that she was being directed to aid the King of France. And these voices, they would get er insistent, urgent. And and what's kind of funny is that sometimes the voices even like were like threatening to her, try to move her to, to do things. Um, she didn't know how to ride or fight or anything like that. Um, but she, um, she, made her way to see Robert Bodencourt, commander for Charles VII, who was at this time the, uh, the French claimant to the, um, to the crown, in uh, Vaucalore. Now, to give you a little bit of, um, I should have had this up, but, but a sense of the ge- geom- geography here. Um, so she was born in a place uh, called the uh, Domremy la Pucelle, um, in the Champagne region of France, France uh, of Fr- France, it's kind of like the um, northeast uh, part of France, 
and I'm mm -hmm. Dom Remy is D O M R E M Y. I zoomed out, and then it. We're gonna get northeast. Yeah, northeast. Okay, northeast part of France. So by that time, so when England's trying, you're. We're talking about these wars, and England is is. Are they fighting for France itself, or are they? And is that the battle, or are they taking over towns one at a time and just oh, moving the the territorial line? No, it's it's like that, and I don't even. I mean, I don't even think you could call it a territorial line. It's it's more like they they take towns that they see of being of significance with regard to um, the administration of French rule. So, okay. you know, they, they, they basically hold Paris, for example. Um, another big one was Orleans. Another big one was um, Reims. Um, and so, anyway, that it, it, it's kind of that kind of situation where these, these towns dotted, m many of which are occupied and held, you know, by England – and others which are are still French. So, okay. so she goes to uh, to Robert Bodencourt, uh, who is Charles the Seventh's commander. Uh, he basically told her uh, cousin who had gone with her, uh, take her home to a father and give her a good whipping. <laughs> now she's he's um, if I understand it right, he's kind of known as being inept. He's not doing a good job of even trying to protect France. Is that correct? I, and not only him, but but a, a number of Charles VII's court are kind of like that. They're, you know... Okay. Uh, they're, it's almost... You know, I, 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 it didn't, I didn't read this specifically, but, but when you read it, it's, it's kind of like uh, he's the presumptive claimant of the crown of France... And it's like they're staying loyal enough so that they can enjoy the, uh, you know, their positions and, and maintain them and hold them should he succeed in ousting the English. Uh, but at the same time, not being so loyal that uh, if he ends up himself getting defeated completely by the English that they won't be able to find their way into the courts of the English. You know, it's that kind of a thing. They're hedging the bets, basically. I, I tell you what, it's like the Democrat Party right now as they, uh, as they not defend America from things like China and uh, uh, mm -hmm. all yeah, of these like foreign that. powers that are destroying our economy. Right, right. So, anyway, she, she went back home, and that's when the voices started getting more, you know, insistent, even threatening her. She tried to argue back. She said, I'm just a poor girl. I don't know how to ride or fight or anything. And the voices basically responded with, it is God's will. He commands it. You know, you've got to do this. So she left again. Uh, and that February, um, she, when she reached... Uh, Vaucouleurs, I think that's the how you pronounce the town. This is where she, you know, had met with uh, Bodencourt earlier. Um, she announced a defeat at the Battle of Herrings outside of Orleans. This was confirmed a few days later, and that's when Bodencourt gave her an escort with uh, some soldiers to seek the king at, again, I'm going to mispronounce the name, Chinon, C-H-I-N-O-N. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So anyway, uh, so she she goes so, into this commander and says and tells him that this place has just been defeated. You're going to be defeated at Herrings. Okay. And then he receives news and then of it. it. Yeah. Uh, uh, or he finds out that it is afterwards. Okay. Right. Right. Um, so he says, okay, maybe there's something here. Here's, I'm going to have these soldiers take you along. Um, so Charles wanted to test Joan. Uh, she's, you know, finally getting to meet the king. And two days after arriving, she attained an audience with him. Um, but he did, had disguised himself among his in, attendants, you know, to mm-hmm. make it so that there was nothing kingly looking about him. She immediately walked up to him and saluted him. Um, she also uh, carried a message for him, a, a secret of the king that had been given to her, some sign that her voices uh, told her uh, that she could communicate to him to put his mind at ease that she's really um, being sent from God, basically. Okay. Uh, so she gave him this message and he believed, but, you know, still had some doubts regarding, uh, you know, it's like it was enough to get him to believe her enough to go along with her. Now, yeah, we we don't absolutely know what this message was. Um, it was brought up at her trial. Um, she kind of became vague about it at the trial, probably because she didn't want to bring it out. Uh, because it may have impugned um, some other people. But what historians of the incident believe now is that Charles had some doubt about the legitimacy of his own birth and that Joan was yeah. able to set that at rest. And that was her message to him. Okay. So anyway, of course, before she could be, uh, you know, before he could, take her further at a word and, and do what she was asking. He needed her to be examined by bishops and doctors, you know, to make sure it's not just mental illness, to make sure that, you know, what she's saying that, that, you know, the, the, um, the when stuff she's, she's saying is doctrinally him, sound. Mm-hmm. What's that? Is she, is she saying, is she saying to him, uh, God has sent me to do this or tell you this or, and, and is she saying is she saying that in front of everyone or is this like a private thing where she's saying, listen, God told me this, you know, I you know, know what I mean, did everybody know what she was there for? Uh, yeah. The, I mean, I think I, okay. I get the impression that yes, that it's, it, you know, she's speaking in front of his court because a lot of people in his court opposed her, uh, saying she's yeah, just a crazy okay. visionary, you know, she, she, but, and, and, and that's the, the sign that she had been given her to, to give Charles, Obviously, that was private between her and Charles, and that's what caused him to go along with her. Um, in spite you know, of I would uh, advising otherwise. I would point out here. See, I whenever you hear uh, non Christians talk about history and talk about uh, the things that the church did, like exorcisms, and uh, when they talk about mystics, they always. They always act as if no one had any idea what mental illness was. Like oh. we thought all yeah. mental illness was either a possession or we thought it was uh, God talking to us. Like nobody ever f- knew about <laughs> mental illness, which is That's stupid. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because here in the 14th century, they thought yeah, she was they, ill. 
that yeah. would be the natural but, thing to assume with anyone. Right. So, just exactly. pointing that out. That, no, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so, anyway, um, so she was sent to. Uh, I'm going to pr- mispronounce it again. Portiers, P O I T E I E R S. Anyway, to be examined by bishops and doctors who you know found no cause to think that she was specifically mentally ill or that anything that she was saying from these voices had doctrinal errors or anything like that. So she was accepted and she was going to be allowed to uh, lead her campaigns. Well, as well, as she was preparing for it, um, you know, they were giving kind of giving her the, the armor for battle and that kind of stuff. And they had a sword for her, but she said, no, she wanted a sword. She wanted them to go find a sword that the voices had told her about um, that was a ancient sword buried behind the altar at St. Catherine de Frebois. Again, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but uh, so she, you know, some particular altar at a church, you know, and she came from a peasant farm. It's not like she was, you know, well-traveled and knew all the churches and that yeah. kind of stuff before this. So she said, no, there's a sword behind this altar. That's the one I want. So they went and found it and uh, gave it to her. Was this something like the church had it in some kind of special place, or was it just like I think it was in the ground and like, they said like, start digging like, here? Kind of like no, I think it was like like among the relics. You know how they always oh, have okay. Like so if there was a kid, if there was a knight stuff be, grave, behind the altar, it would yeah, have had a okay. Right, right, right. So, um, so there's a. Uh, quote here that i want to uh read in its exact so during the early stage of her campaign she made a mm-hmm. prediction um and i want to say what that here it is i've got the quote okay hold on okay uh, the, uh, uh it's a letter that uh sire de Slayer uh, wrote from Lyons on uh, in April of ni- 1429. It was delivered at Brussels, um, and we have the manuscript. Um, he says in his letter, the maid said that she would save Orleans, I'm sure I'm butchering that name, and compel the English to raise the siege, and that she herself in a battle before Orleans would be wounded by a shaft but not die of it, and that the king, in the course of the coming summer, would be crowned at Reims, together with other things which the king keeps secret. So this is a quote from her, uh, on you know, in or prior to April 1429. Hold on, mm-hmm. I'm going to sneeze. Every uh, time you cough or sneeze or something, <laughs> I'm going to clap so that I can see on the yeah, computer go, screen yeah. Good to idea. cut that out. Although my sneeze will probably register bigger than the clap on the on the audio. Yeah, um, I know, but you'll hear me doing it again and just <laughs> oh, continue yeah, okay. as if I didn't do it. Sure. So uh, in or before April of 1429, she uh, made this statement. So, so they go to the battle at Orleans. Uh, before entering uh, military engagement, she asked the – she went to the King of England – well – she asked that the king of England, I, I, I don't imagine she could get an audience with him, um, to yeah. call the troops out of French soil, uh, which, of course, made the English commanders quite angry. It's like, who's she to 
tell our king to call us out of French soil, you know. Yeah. Um, so on April 30th, uh, she entered Orleans. By May 8th, all of the English siege um, forts around Orleans had been captured. Uh, and on May 7th, during all of this activity, she was wounded by an arrow. I think it was like through her leg or something like that. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to keep pressing the victory, uh, but the king and his advisors, you know, we talked about them. They were kind of slow to move, uh, but but she kept persisting and pestering and managed a series of successes uh, all the way to Reims um, through uh, Pate, then, th- then Troyes. Now, just to give you an idea of the, again, the, the geography here, um, Orleans... Uh, France is somewhat uh, to the south of Paris. And if you trace the path from Orleans uh, through Troyes and then up to uh, Reims, I think that's about 180 miles, along which they were achieving victories in, in towns, taking the towns away from English sieges. So then on July 17th, 1429, and, you know, Again, 1429, she was born in 1412. She's like 17, maybe 18 years old here. And and she's only been at this for, you know, for this spring uh, and then into yeah. the summer. So on Sunday, July 17th, 1429, Charles VII was solemnly crowned with Joan in attendance. So <clears throat> that was sort of the fulfillment of her mission. At that point, she felt like at least she brought it to this point she she fulfilled what the voices had told her um yeah. now later there was a campaign in paris where she was injured while trying um to take paris from the english across okay here's where she got the crossbow bolt through the leg i, I don't know what the injury on um at orleans was but uh the cross crossbow through the leg was in paris in paris uh later that uh fall in September. This um, is after the king's been crowned. After, yeah. So July, he's crowned, okay. and then she's going on to other campaigns. And there was a failed campaign to take Paris back, and this, you know, she she was shot through the leg with a crossbow. Um, okay. And at, and then at that point, uh, King Charles signed a truce with the Duke of Burgundy. Now, the Duke of Burgundy, um, he was actually an English symp- sympathizer. Um, on you know in in french uh one of the french uh whatever they call it, the regions or whatever uh yeah. whatever whatever a duke holds and so he was one of those that charles would have been you know possibly engaged in battles with but they signed a truce in august um and that's and once that truce was signed joan took her armor off and left it at uh saint denis church uh, this was followed by a winter in which relatively little happened because they were supposed to be under a, a, a truce. Well, did she did she take her on, armor off like in protest of the truce? I couldn't get whether she was taking it off in protest or taking it off and setting it aside at an altar until needed again. Okay, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't pick up on that. Was it one of those- cases where she wanted to keep fighting and they're like no we're going to call a truce i couldn't that's kind of how i always 
thought of that. A lot of the a lot of them were, um, but and this one very well may have been, uh, and in fact it may have been more of a okay. They've signed their truce. There's nothing I can do about this. Um, mm-hmm. I can't I can't go against the wishes of the king. So I'm gonna put this in God's hands, and that may be the significance of her taking her armor off at the church. Okay. So, in any case, um, the winter goes. We're back in spring, and coming into the spring, the voices told her that she would be captured by midsummer. So on May 24th, this is 1430 now, she led a sortie with some men from um, Compiègne. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Anybody who speaks French, get on here and and feel free to, you know, correct us. Um, Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) uh, about 500 men. Um, they were, uh, they came up against a, a much larger, uh, group of English soldiers while they were retreating back into Compiègne, there was some kind of mistake and the drawbridge, the order to, to raise the bridge was made while a number of the men of, of her, um, sortie team, the 500 that she was with, including her were still outside. Well, wait a minute. And that's how she, she was captured. Had... She w- she had set the armor aside. Why is she still fighting though? Oh yeah, she or did probably she start fighting back. I again. Imagine she, no, I imagine she picked it back up because this this was way back in the fall when she set the armor aside. Okay, so but somehow either that she or she got new armor, but she's back continues in Continues yeah. fighting. Okay. Well, she the truce ended in April. Oh, it was basically, okay. Oh, you it know, a, I missed that a, part. Yeah, the truce was over in April. It, it the it was only a winter truce. To to give okay, both sides a chance to we you know, maybe try to work something while. out, yeah, and and yeah. and okay. you know sides do that. You know, even during a war, nations will do that. Let's let's call a truce. Let's see if we can work something out. And then when the truce time is over, if we haven't worked something out, all right, it's and you know we, gloves and gloves we kill back each off. Other. So yeah, okay. Um, so anyway, yeah. So she's back in it again, and she's with this contingent of men on this sortie, and. She, along with a number of others, were left outside of the city. Um, she was captured by a follower of John of Luxembourg, who is a French nobleman who actually sided with the English. So he's kind of a, um, I don't know, what would you say, like a Tory in the American Revolution? Um, a what of the American Revolution? A Tory. Weren't the Tories the English sympathizers? Oh, I didn't even know that. No, I don't know. So, um, But he was... I mean, look, it's not like, I mean, he was a traitor. If it's France and England suddenly comes in, I guess, I guess maybe some people thought England really did have a right to to, France, but yes, there were those who thought that, but Mexicans coming in and us saying, well, Mexicans got a right to Texas, for example, it's theirs and still seemed pretty traitorous to me. Right. Yeah, it's it's it might even be more um, shoot. There's there's not a lot of of modern equivalents because people thought differently back then about what gave someone yeah. the right to rule an area. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but anyway. the uh, yeah he was a he was a French nobleman who who was a English sympathizer. So he kept one of his men captured Joan and he sold her to the English for about a hundred thousand. Um, liars, maybe, uh, you know, a f- French equivalent of pounds, which 
from that time, if you wanted to do it as a gold equivalent, would be, you know, two to three hundred thousand dollars maybe today. Okay. So now she's in British hands. The British were absolutely determined to end her life. And here's where we can look at the King of France, Charles VII, and his entirely court, entire court. They, you, you can't pile enough shame on them for their abandonment of Joan because of everything she did for them. Even if they couldn't have rescued her through a military strategy, they had high-value uh, prisoners of their own that they could have traded. And in a certain way, um, her fate at this point almost seems to, and I've not read this, but it's a thought of my own, it almost seems to parallel um, Christ. Because he, you know, his apostles scattered, he was abandoned by everybody, and then he went into what was basically a sham trial, which is what also what of, happened to Joan. I mean, is she arrested, is she captured as a prisoner of war, or is there some other... Like, why would there have to be a trial? Okay, so here's the thing. She, she, so, as a prisoner of war, you you can't just execute somebody who you've captured in war as okay. a prisoner. You know, they they you know the the um, the the contrivances shows that the the I'm, what I'm going to say sounds silly, but they were civilized then. You didn't just execute prisoners. Now, they went through all kinds of contrivances to make it so that they could execute her under their civilized system of rules. Yeah. Uh, so in that sense, you know, well, gee, how civilized could they have been? But but my point is that there were rules that they had to at least have a uh, create the appearance of following so while there was no uh, Geneva Convention or anything, there was an understanding. Of there how was you treated, an yeah. understanding, and on top of that, there was one s- central authority that might uh, somehow punish a country who didn't try to abide by those rules. I don't rules, think and that, that would be the that, church. Well, maybe yeah, because the church could issue. Uh, you know, interdictions in various cases. Now, here's and 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 that you bring that up. That's that's actually one of the travesties of her trial. Um, even though that she was an, you know, she was accused. You know, the the British couldn't. They couldn't kill her for winning. You know, winning battles yeah. was not a criminal offense. That you could you could hold a prisoner of war as a you know against some kind of ransom or something like that from the other country but you couldn't punish them for winning battles that was their job so they couldn't kill her for winning so she was accused in a church court an ecclesiastical court of being a heretic and and a witch and, and other stuff like that but even though she requested to be transferred to an ecclesiastical prison they kept her in a secular court guarded by english soldiers if she had been in an ecclesiastical prison, she would have been guarded by female attendants. Um, okay. And that's probably one of the reasons that she kept her male clothes to protect her modesty because, you know, her jailers were men. Um, yeah. And we'll see later that that actually plays into... I mean, it, it's, it, it's the way the system worked then 
putting these things together, it's it's not um, it's not unfair to say that the her English captors murdered her, basically. Yeah. Um, so here I'm going to go through. So now she's captured. I'm going to go ahead and go through a um, bit of a timeline of her trial. So okay. So she was captured in um, May, and during this time. There were a lot of of uh, hearings and stuff that they had that that she never appeared at. They were kind of pre-trial hearings, um, several months, so that now we're we're actually back into winter, and it's February twenty-first again uh, before she appears for the first time before judges. On March first, she predicted to her judges that within seven years' space, the English, I'm reading, reading this as a quote, within seven years' space, the English would have to forfeit a prize bigger than Orleans. Now, Orleans was, of course, the first city that she had freed from English siege. It was six yeah. years and eight, eight months later that the English lost Paris. So, again, okay. you know, that's just one of those things that, you can't see her as being just a, you know, mentally ill, adolescent, right. schizophrenic kind of, you know. Uh, okay, so by March 17th, her examination was completed. This is so roughly two weeks, 16 days of being examined um, within the uh, English um, ecclesiastical court. At this point, they wrote up 70 propositions against her. It was a disorganized list that contained a lot of misstatements and exaggerations. She was permitted to hear and answer to each of these. And after hearing her answers, they came up with a uh, much smaller, better organized list of 12 specific uh, crimes that she was going to be accused of. Uh, Most of her judges, um, once hearing the smaller list of the 12 crimes, got together and they vote. Um... I I think there were like, I don't know, 22 judges or something like that. The majority of them, uh, and in fact, most of them voted that the voices she heard were false and diabolical, and they determined that if she did not uh, retract her statements about the voices, basically retract her statements that they were the voices of saints, she would be handed over to the secular forces, which they were the ones that um, performed the punishments. So basically, she would be a heretic, and a witch, and therefore burned at the stake. So, on, and this was on, um, so, you know, we go through several attempts to get her to retract. On April 18th, they asked her to retract. She refused. On May 2nd, she was asked again. She refused. On May 9th, a week later, she was threatened with torture. She still refused. Um, now, during these times when they're trying to get her to, um, recant they've also taken everything to the university of paris which was uh heavily english in its sympathies paris itself being you know um Mm -hmm. part of you know what england held at the time uh the judges there reviewed the case and all denounced that she was a heretic um and said that if she doesn't recant she needs to be handed over to the secular arm to be burned at the stake May 22nd, she was asked again, and she refused. Now, on May 23rd, here's here's probably the one point at which you could read it as her courage fails her. So she was Mm -hmm. brought before a crowd, a stake had been constructed, 
and she was admonished admonished to recant. If she didn't recant, it was like, okay, here's the stake. We're going to tie you to it and burn you right here. Okay. So at this point, she consented to sign a retraction. It's unknown what was actually written in the retraction. It was read to her. She couldn't read or write. And signing, of course, meant that she would just make her mark in front of everybody, you know, like an X or whatever it was. Um, But the... um, there's a retraction in the official record. Like if you go and in, in, in research, it's this great big, long, lengthy, very humiliating to Joan um, and kind of unlikely. Um, but all of the witnesses who were there have stated that when the retraction itself was read out loud, it was only a few lines. There wasn't very much to it. So okay. we don't know what it is she really heard that she signed, but... There are a couple things to note. She only signed it after protesting against the insults that had been leveled against King Charles VII um, in the um, in whatever it is that you know that they were saying. And she did not sign it unreservedly. She declared that she was retracting only in as much as it was God's will for her to do so. Okay. So, so she was basically taking out of their hands their right to burn her at the stake while at the same time not fully recanting on you know her voices and everything that she had said she's kind of leaving it in god's hands so to speak now here's the thing this did create a problem um it was a retraction you know of whatever kind and under the inquisition you know if a heretic recanted his heresy he he wasn't to be burned However, if he relapsed after being spared once, he wouldn't be spared again, even if he tried to recant. He would be burned the second time. So the English and the Burgundians, remember um, the Duke of Burgundy was the one that Charles had signed the truce with earlier. The English and the Burgundians were absolutely furious that, that the people who were holding her got her to make this retraction because it meant that she wasn't burned. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna make a take take a uh, a step aside and make a personal observation about this aspect of it. Uh, in the liturgical canon, Joan is not considered a martyr, and the reason is because her execution was a improper execution for heresy. But um, the the reasoning goes the the ruling that would have you know, determine whether she could be listed as a martyr or not, was that to be a martyr, you have to be uh, killed out of hatred for the church. Now, my thinking, so liturgically, she's not a martyr, but I think, morally speaking, I would say that she is a martyr. And in fact, if I had been on the, you know, if I in in my uh, current mind had been on whatever church committees get together and decide these things, um, I would have pushed for her to be listed as a martyr. And my thinking is this. If the English who were trying her did not want to punish her out of hatred for what she was, they would have been happy at her recanting a heresy. They would have, you know, you could say rejoiced in the salvation of a soul. But that's not what they wanted. They were furious that she had recanted. 
They wanted her to be a heretic so that they could burn her at the stake, or rather wanted her to be found to be a heretic so that they could burn her at the stake. To me, that means they were acting out of hatred for what she was, which is someone who the saints were communicating with. And I would yeah, take I know, that but... as hatred of the church. They were, they were. But what they hated her... was that that she had bested them militarily. I don't think it was just that's what that. the hatred. I was. think it was hatred for the fact that God seemed to be favoring France through her. Yeah, and that's that's why I think she actually should have been listed as a martyr. Uh, she's a saint, regardless. I would have put her as a yeah. martyr, but. Liturgically, she's not. Anyway, so from that time, the English conspired with her captors to force her to into a de facto relapse. Now, here's where I, I said earlier the fact that she's kept in a secular prison would come into play and, and show up as part of the conspiracy that, that really, you know, there's no way to spin it other than that it was just plain murder. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what happened, uh, whether, you know, somehow threatening her modesty, withholding her women's attire, whatever it was, but they basically forced her to continue wearing men's clothes in this secular prison that she was being held. Since wearing men's clothes was one of the counts of heresy, even though it's not a heresy itself, you know, we look at, well, gee, what a heresy, wearing men's clothes? But it was one of the counts, uh, of the 12 counts against her in the uh, proclamation of heresy. Committing any of those things again would have been considered a relapse. And therefore, wearing men's clothes became the occasion for them to say, Oops, she's relapsed now. She's a lapsed heretic. Now she needs to be burned at the stake. So on May 29th, the judges, based on her wearing men's garb, determined that she was a a relapsed heretic. And on May 30th, the execution was carried out. She and these w- are secular judges? They are... E- the ecclesiastical judges were the ones that would determine that she was a heretic. The secular arm is what would carry out the sentence of burning her at the stake. Okay. So the, the determination of the crime was ecclesiastical. The punishment was secular, the sentencing. Okay. So... Uh, she was permitted confession and re- to receive Holy Communion. Uh, at the stake, she asked for a cross, which she embraced. And then after that, it was held up before her as she burned. She continuously called upon Jesus' name. And then after her death, her ashes were thrown into the Seine, a uh, river. Now, there's a little bit of an epilogue. Because you thought, okay, you know, two-year flash pan. Like I said, shooting star, burned brightly and then gone. Two-year mm-hmm. flash pan, burnt at the stake, ashes thrown in the sun. You know, it's not like there's a body to, to be incorruptible or anything like that. How is it that she becomes a saint? Well, 24 years later, this is interesting. 24 years later, the trial was reopened with the consent of the Pope. During her original trial, she tried to appeal to the papacy. We don't absolutely know whether her appeals ever even reached the papal court. I think think the consensus is that it probably didn't um but she was asking to be you know tried by the highest office of the church and and uh she wasn't she was you know basically 
railroaded through a trial by local ecclesiastical English judges. <laughs> um, so 24 years later, the trial was reopened and she was basically retried by all the transcripts and everything being read with few exceptions. All the witnesses that they could uh, find uh, were eager to attest to the supernatural virtues and gifts of Joan. And I guess I imagine some of these witnesses would be those that she, you know, rode with in battle and interacted with, you know, before she was captured. Uh, probably also some of those who witnessed her execution. Uh, an appellate court was commissioned by the Pope, um, which reversed and annulled the findings of the original trial. So posthumously, she was completely acquitted of uh, heresy. Okay. Uh, that's just 24 years later. I mean, if she hadn't been burned at the stake, she would have still been alive, you know, 24 years. In 1869, now this is like 450 years later, uh, almost, uh, the cause for sainthood was opened. Then on April 11th, 1909, uh, 40 years after that, her proper prayers were approved for liturgical use in the Diocese of Orleans, not universally throughout the church. And then finally, in 1920, she was canonized as a universal saint, um, St. Joan of Arc, by Pope Benedict XV. Now, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, this is 500 years after her death that she was finally canonized. Compare that with some of the canonizations that are going on these days. And you develop a sense of the recklessness of... Of some of you know would yeah. seem to be in the modern procedures, um, right? So, which we talked about a couple episodes ago, and yeah, uh, uh, specifically the the quote saints of Vatican II, right? Exactly, right. That that's that's exactly what I had in mind. But you know, here the other thing is this: Joan to me is relevant today. I don't know what exactly God had in mind, uh, what what arc of providence of God's required that French rule be restored to French kings and not be, uh, you know, France not be a, um, you know, a, a colony is not Another the right word, English. but basically yeah. be ruled by English, be, you know, a, a possession of the English. Um, but for some reason he wanted that for some reason, it was in God's providential plan that France was to be France. And he used Joan of Arc to help accomplish that. It wasn't completely accomplished with her. Um, I don't know exactly, uh, you know, other than the particular battles at New Orleans and then seeing Charles the, the seventh crowned at Reims. I don't know what her having done that, you know, what role that played in the remainder of the Hundred Years' War. Uh, but for some well, reason... I, you might consider the fact that uh, in uh, the early 1500s, we've got the the uh, uh, birth of the Church of England. That's what, true. 1534? Uh, so it's not know, long after that that England... Uh, Catholicism becomes illegal in England, and that would have extended to all its territories the way it did in Ireland. That's the way right. It did in, uh, so France. I've always 
thought about that because France the English Reformation. If she held on to her Catholic identity for a lot longer than some of the other European nations. That's true. That's true. And uh, so, yeah, that and that may and you know some of the the people who lived in France during those uh, you know following centuries and allowing them to have a Catholic home. Um, this this mm-hmm. may have been all part of God's you know providential plan. But yeah. the thing is, God works with and through, and He uh, well countries. I'm going to say nations. God wants yeah. nations to be true to him. God, you know, not just individual people, but he wants us to uh, honor him as nations. Yeah, he did say go out and preach the gospel to all nations. I think it says that, doesn't it? I don't remember. Or is that, could that be a different translation? I think he says all peoples. <laughs> okay. But anyway, but but that's the thing. That's that not just as people, but as peoples. He wants us yeah. to, to hear it's the gospel and live people. the gospel and and uh, and honor him and worship him and so forth. And that's uh, I, I think it's unfortunate today that it seems even um, even our pope doesn't seem to get that. Our pope talks about uh, yeah uh, nationalism like it's a uh, like it's a bad yeah. word or a bad thing that citizen of the uh, earth. Yes, <laughs> it's, just, it's silly. I mean. And you know, there's, there's even today, even among conservatives today, you, you like in America, you see people denouncing nationalism as though it's a bad thing. Yeah. And I, I suspect that there's, you know, maybe they don't have a real idea in their head of what they mean when they say nationalism. If they do have an idea in their head of what they mean, then it's probably not the same thing that I mean when I say nationalism. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, if, if if patriotism is a virtue of justice, you know, that calls you to give to your fatherland what's due, um, what I would say is that nationalism is a philosophy that simply says nations matter. Now, you know, yeah, it, yeah okay, there are parts of the world where f- borders are flexible. I mean, you know, you've got the... You know the the treaties after World War One and after World War Two that that seemed to be somewhat arbitrary in establishing national lines. Um, you've got the the uh, volatility um, in the the Czech and Slovak Slavic areas after um, you know after long after World War Two. Um, and so yeah, there there are. It's not like everything is fixed forever in time and so forth, but but regardless of that, most people throughout the world are born into a nation, and we're called to live that identity. Nations really do matter, and I think I think yeah. nationalism is just a recognition that that's true, and then saying, okay, well then we've we've you know it's our responsibility to act that way, and I think that's one I of think... the you know when we when we see Joan of Arc, if 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 you say, well, okay, you got to take her as the real deal well guess what god was for whatever reasons in his providence he was intervening through joan to ensure the survival the existence the independence of a nation yeah he uh it as we go along and and well like we're doing the uh the 
will hopefully be doing a, a, the next step in the uh, history of America. Mm-hmm. And we see that um, over and over again, you have to admit that, that God smiles on America and permits her to be. Yeah. Um, when there's plenty of times where it, it just it should have sputtered out or it should have been, say, a, 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 a Spanish settlement instead of an English one mm-hmm. and it, whatever. It, it turned into America the way we have it now. And it and it was and we were blessed from the start. And that's one of the things that that, that that's exactly why I think Joan is so relevant for us today, because uh, you, you know, there's two two things that that keep coming back to my mind. One is we could lose that blessing. Yeah, uh, and the the other is that um, you know we it it who knows what again God's providential arc in history has in mind for the existence of America, the the existence of the United States. Um, it could be that whatever it is he meant to accomplish through us has already been accomplished and 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 you know and we're going to end up He's throwing us you away know, I, I you know i i sincerely hope not i, I, I don't not. believe that I, I i i don't really think that that's the case um but yeah i i've mentioned before that the for example the the tridentine mass the the research is yeah. kind of started in america yeah it's, it's and it's growing its, in america uh, it Right. This is the the. I think traditionalism the tinderbox for that, not the tinderbox. Was That's kept alive tinder, by but, America. Yeah, and that's just one example. I, I think there are others too. I mean, you know, look at look at how um, bureaucratic. Look if Europe, the South had Europe won. Become. Yeah, and, and I it's think like, if the South had won, we would be like Europe now. Yeah, right. But the North won, and we did abolish slavery. And that enabled us to continue with God's blessing. I think if we don't eliminate abortion real soon, I think we'll lose that blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God will so, God will use us one way or another. He always does. But is He going to use yeah. us to to you know uh, to show the benefits of glorifying Him, or is He going to use us to uh, you know to um, to show the downside of turning away from Him? We see how God held up France and blessed her, uh, and then 500 years later, uh, they burned down the yeah, uh, no- that's right, Notre Dame, Notre Dame and, and nobody even seems to remember. Mm-hmm. It's not even talked about. Nobody even knows how it happened, really. I keep talking about a cigarette, but whatever. A cigarette? I hadn't read that part. Yeah, it was a cigarette. <laughs> Somebody had put out a cigarette, and, and that's, how, that's how Notre Dame... Uh, was burned. Uh, never mind the fact that they've been lighting it with candles and torches and stuff like that for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah you'd think of it was that susceptible, but uh, yeah, something would have happened But uh, whatever. So anyway, that's uh, that's Joan of Arc. A uh, that's our, yeah, I mean, two years, a, a year of a year of battles, and then a year of tri- not even a full year of trial, but you know, such a short time. And now she's, you know, so famous. Everybody knows who Joan of Arc is, uh, even those who think she was just a crazy girl. Yeah. But I think if you look at the you facts, know, you know, you, 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 you have to accept that she was the real thing. 
I hear every now and then, you know, feminists bring up the name, but it, it's it's sad that most of the people who bring up the name as a great woman in history don't really know what she did and why she did it. That's true. But, um, you know, I'm going to bring up something that's... I want to talk about second about her uh, prophecies because... Uh, I think we're going to do kind of a podcast a little bit about this sometime in the future. And um, Fulton Sheen once said that prophecies are not for the present. Prophecies, Prophecies are there to look back on. Oh, right, right. And we see how many times she... There were three prophecies here. One was the king's identity... And then the the town that was lost mm-hmm. in where where was Herring. it Orleans? It okay, was the, the Battle of Herring. So both of them were there to prove to the king, so that he could look back on what she said and say, "Oh, this is the real deal." Right. She wasn't warning him so that he could go save the town. She was telling him so that he would know that she's real. Mm-hmm. And then later she prophesizes about the English losing to losing Paris. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. That during her trial. Right. Right. So it happens eight years later. It's she's long dead. And and then it happens and it's there for us to look back on and say she was the real deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of just, it goes away. Anytime when people start prophesying, when people start talking about the coming three days of darkness, Oh. I think they're looking at these prophecies the wrong way, but yeah, I don't know. That's a whole no, other that's, podcast. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, that, you're you're right. That's but but that's a good point. Yeah, prophecies prophecies aren't there to allow you to prepare for something. They're there to look back on and allow you to to see the providence of God after the fact. Other than the age old prophecy that is always true, repent or there's going to be a problem. Well, yeah. You know, I mean that that's always going to be there. So when when there's prophecies that say if you don't repent, this is going to happen, it's I guess you could say it's to prepare, but you're being asked to do what you should have been doing all along anyway. Yeah, and I would say that that's not even necessarily a prophecy as such. That's more like a warning. It's a warning. Yeah, you take. I think you get in the cookies. You're going to get a prophecy and a warning. Yeah. Okay. So. um is that is that all we got? That is on all Joan of Arc? I have on Joan of Arc. Okay, well, we've got a ton of current events because it's been so long. So I I had to cut it. I had to cut it to a little bit more than a week, but um, a lot has been happening in that yeah, week. Um, too too much happening. Crazy altogether. stuff, fun stuff, and re- some really neat stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the fun stuff was that President Trump announced that maybe we'll postpone the election. <laughs> it was funny to see all the reactions to that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They thought the world was going to end. He knows how to play him, doesn't he? Yep, yep. He, <laughs> it's just funny. He, do you think he, you think he uh, winked to his chief of staff first and said, hey, watch this? <laughs> yeah, hey, watch this. See what they say now. <laughs> At the same time, look, we cannot have an election by mail-in ballots. No. That can't happen. Yeah. Something's got to be done with that, or 
I don't know. Look, Mike DeWine postponed the elections in Ohio, and he still hasn't had them. Are you talking about the primaries? Yeah. Those I are elections, and he postponed them, and a court order came and said, no, you can't postpone them, and he did it anyway. Oh. And we still haven't <laughs> elected our... We still have not had a primary. Mm-hmm. But... You know, I it was funny. I mean, yeah. it was funny at the time, and it's going to be funny as this goes <laughs> on because they're they're getting wilder and wilder. They're afraid that he's not going to leave the White House or if saw. he loses, but he's not going to lose, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I saw the there was some stupid rag. I well, it's like uh, some I don't know the Atlantic or somebody. Somebody was getting into to mm-hmm. like like hosting a debate or a discussion about whether it would be the job of the Secret Service or the Marines to kick him out of the White House when he refuses to leave. And it's like, (laughs) you read this stuff, and it's like, okay, these liberals, because that's how they would act, assume Trump's going to act that way in the same situation. Yeah. You know? Well, um, <laughs> they have because he did win, he won, and they're still and, refusing yeah, to accept it. Yeah, you, you still have. I mean, yeah, in fact, they had all the riots when he won, and now that you know, um, now that uh, George Floyd died, you know, at at the hands mm-hmm. of a incompetent cop, whatever, uh, they're using that as an excuse to uh, reawaken and. Uh, vitalize in a way that hadn't been before all the riots that they really wanted to have when Trump won. You know, in fact, it just occurred yeah. to me. I, it just occurred to me just now, this moment, that that's what these riots really are. These are the 2016 Trump election riots, delayed until they had an excuse to riot that everybody would buy. Yeah, they are. That's what this is. I think that's what this uh, COVID nineteen is too, or at least to prevent him from winning. In 2020, yeah, but we got there's a bunch of COVID 19 stuff too. I didn't, I, I didn't write down all of it because it was <laughs> there's too much. We'll get Things to are some happening of it. So fast, yeah, it's crazy. <clears throat> but there's some other cool stuff happening. Uh, for example, uh, uh, Perseverance rover and Mars helicopter have uh, the helicopter ingenuity have been successfully launched. And uh, I think we got about uh, seven months they should get there. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we've got a new rover landing in Mars. Yep. And this rover's going to have a helicopter that can fly around. And um, I did, that seems like, that seems almost impossible. It does to me, too, because the delay from signals, it's, it, it, I mean, think of like a drone, uh, like, like we saw out at the... Uh, the, the gorge from Natural Bridge, the the guy was flying his drone. You you got that? He's got yeah. the controls. He's looking at it right there. He's doing, and it, it has immediate response. Um, hold on. Yeah, but this is going to be a smart drone that would know how to. But it would have to learn how to fly very quickly because there's, unless they were able to simulate the atmosphere there, which there's hardly one. Well, that's the other thing. It's like, how is the thing even flying? I mean, I thought I thought there was practically no atmosphere, but now I'm seeing there was another uh, one that we sent out that landed by parachute, mm-hmm. partially landed by parachute. So there must be some kind of atmosphere. Well, yeah, because if you can use a parachute, very, 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 very thin. Something. Right, right. 
but the thing is the the it has to be like yeah it has to be something with pre-constructed programs to let it identify where it needs to go and go there uh because there's not going to be any in-flight uh manipulation of this thing that at their very closest right it it would take three minutes for a radio wave to get from earth to mars to be able to control this thing so it's got to have you know yeah. preloaded programs that it uses and how long can it fly uh when it's it's working it's got a storage of power there but eventually that can't last very long and then after it's gone i guess it could i guess it could pick charge, up solar, solar and yeah. charge but I mean, it'd that's be a little bit weaker than on Earth. In mars yeah it would be weaker. that's a long ways although the, the, well, wait a minute. the atmosphere's thinner on mars so it would it, i mean maybe it would maybe be, be weaker because of it's further away but it wouldn't have as much filtering from the atmosphere yeah well it's neat either way yeah and that's not the only one. They're the uh, the Crew Dragon Endeavor. Yeah, how about made the SpaceX its first splash stuff, down? Huh? Yeah, so that was the uh, the it, it was. I guess it, it's a new technology that they're going to use that you can uh, a reusable. I guess, is this the starting launch rocket that they'll be able to use over and over again? Is that what this is? I think so. That's so what the I, idea. Like they can they can. They can launch it up, and then um, I saw the. And then even land it. I saw the video of that. Yeah, it's like they launch it up, and then it's at a height where the other rocket could disconnect and and fire its stage and continue. But then this one comes back down and lands. Yeah. So it's like. So I don't. I don't know how much money that actually saves them, but because uh, I, I mean I would imagine the the fuel itself is. Well, yeah, the fuel is a, is a lot of money by the... itself, but, you know, if it's... And then, finally, there's the... Uh, wait a minute, I was, I was talking about... But then there was I the... I got our... Uh... Right. Okay, I, I got my two spaceships mixed there's, up. There's the, the Falcon. The Starship was the prototype that um, was the launch was the launch racket. Mm-hmm. Starship prototype right. SN5. Right. Okay. The Crew Dragon Endeavor was that um, it was that commercial ship that w- hooked up to the uh, International Space Station. Right. Okay. Remember, a couple months ago they had launched that, and this was the first commercial uh, ship that was going to connect to ISS. Mm-hmm. Speaking of ISS, I saw ISS the other day. Oh, did you actually see it? Yeah, cool. I was at. Let's see. Sunday, I happened to be, I was flipping through uh, Hulu looking for something to watch, and we watched a um, documentary on ISS. And then that night, while I was uh, resting, I saw in the news that you could see it that night for about a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. So we went out there, and I... I said, it's supposed to appear over there in a few minutes, and then there it was, this little light, and you see it moving along until it moved into the Earth's shadow when you couldn't see it anymore. But uh, it was pretty neat yeah. seeing the space station. Yeah, that is neat. It just looked like a little light, but <laughs> yeah, it's but still it's like, neat. That's... It, it was definitely a different color, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you wouldn't think that it's a star or something. It's it, something different about it, as, aside from the fact that it's moving. Right. But... Uh, 
That was neat. Yep. Anyway, that's all the space stuff I have. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the, the whole sports thing. So the, the NBA resumes, um, but they have no crowd there watching them, I guess. And apparently there's no one at home watching them anymore either. Yeah. They're and playing, that's the same uh, with baseball. Which I, I get that. Because they all, you know. I, they're all disrespecting uh, America. Flag. Yeah, exactly. That's. Uh, How did they think that would end up? Yeah, that's stupid. Baseball. Do they not know their, like, their uh, audience? Yeah. I don't even understand how... That's, what was the baseball thinking Baseball is there? the all-American sport. That's, you know... And how did these... Uh, how did these sports stars who make millions of dollars... How did they come to go along with this? Yeah. I find that, that more insulting than anything. Yeah, it's like... I think there were only the a couple of, of them idiots. who didn't go along with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the people who didn't kneel are the ones who got FaceTime, news time, because they didn't kneel. That's the other thing. I mean, they used to... It's like you, you see these... It's reversed. Uh, uh, you see these statements from these liberal rags, these leftist rags, uh, talking about... You know, it's like they're analyzing the not kneeling. They're, and and it's, like, it's like, well, okay. Yeah. I guess if you didn't kneel for the wrong reasons or the right reasons. So you, you got to have the right reason for respecting the American flag and the national anthem. You know? Yeah. It's like, what? Really? Where did that come from? How did the conversation turn this direction? And I... I look, if baseball and basketball and football survive, I, I feel very sorry for America. Yeah. That... That the average American wouldn't be so outraged by this, but see, here's the thing: I don't think they, I don't think they figured this in, because uh, for years now, American men have been so devoted to sports, and everything they do is about sports. Whenever they read stuff, they're reading about sports. Whenever they talk, they talk about sports. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? Forget about the flag for a second. COVID-19 shut it all down. Yeah. And I think millions of men figured out we don't that really it's need really sports. not that big a deal. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, I don't it's, miss it. <laughs> it's stupid to make a big deal over this crap. Right. It's a guy throwing a baseball. So what? No, wait a minute. And uh, yeah, I they, think... I guess, you know, men started realizing that, that all sports is, is, is for, you know... It really boils down to them, you know, sitting on their butts and living vicariously through other guys who are actually doing stuff. And it's like, well, wait a yeah. minute, I could actually go live a real life of my own. Yeah, i i don't I don't think they took that into account. I think they thought by the time guys get back to being able to watch baseball, they're going to be so excited, they're not going to care about the uh, uh, BLM. Oh, right. Uh, the, on the know, Peacher's we'll, Mound. They, they don't care about this communist organization. Mm-hmm. They just care about playing baseball again. And I hopefully they miscalculated. Yeah, I hope. It says, uh, yeah, that's, it says bad things for America if they did. I keep thinking that about, about, uh, about the election, too. It's like, okay, you know, I'm, I, on, I'm, I'm worried for America if, Trump doesn't get elected because of 
yeah. of you know the things that the Democrats will do if they control the White House, especially if they control the White House and uh, the Congress, um, and even more so if they control a lot of states. Okay, I worry about that, but even more so, um, I'm depressed about what it says about Americans if they fail to elect Donald yeah. Trump in this environment. Yeah. That's that's what really has me concerned. It's it's it, almost like uh, okay, if they don't elect Donald Trump, how can I feel like Americans even deserve to survive as America? Right. You know? Uh, you know what it reminds me of is uh in uh Man for All Seasons when uh Thomas More's friend comes in and he says, "Look, they've all they've all given in. Uh they've signed it over and now we have the Church of England, and he and he just looks, he looks sad about it. And he said, "Didn't anyone hold out?" And he said, "Well, Fisher, Cardinal, mm-hmm. or is it Bishop or Cardinal Fisher?" I think it was Cardinal um, John Fisher. Okay, yeah. So Fisher is the only one who stood against it. Everyone else caved, and Thomas More just kind of leans against the wall, and and he's just depressed about it. And it's not, it's not the fact that he lost the Catholic Church to England it's just what it says the about that these England leaders of the, the church. church yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it, it's a he's in mourning mm-hmm. and if if Americans uh, not just if they uh, don't re-elect Trump but if, if they allow these uh, NBA's uh, games to continue and the NBA doesn't lose vast amounts of money it, it makes me really sad for Americans. Yeah. Let's see. Um, you know, okay, I didn't hear about this in the news. When I was looking through the news events, I saw it. Seven people killed in a mid-air collision in Alaska. Um, among those killed was State Representative Gary Knopp. Oh, really? I, I don't I didn't know. I did about that. I don't know what he's done lately, but I, I know I've seen him in the news I don't know if he's real strong or what, but he's gone now. But uh, anyway, he, he died in this uh, collision. Wait, how many? How often do airplanes collide? Not often. Yeah. I An mean, air collision kills seven. This is right at the end of the month. I got a. I feel like that's suspicious. I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, it happens. What? What? It happens when a state, a Republican state representative, is on board. <laughs> In a, I was gonna in say a time it, like this, it happens. I think it happens uh, with smaller planes that are flying in a, a, a local area more the more. So yeah, than and the, I got the seven people and stuff like that. So, so, mm-hmm. so the U.S. is pumping money. Uh, it's expected to pay two point one billion dollars to try to develop this COVID nineteen vaccine. Yeah, I just. I just don't know what to say about all that. It's from the very start we said this is just this is lunacy, yeah. and it's continuing. And you know, call me a silver uh, hat, where whatever. I am thoroughly convinced that this entire thing is about Trump, and somehow or other. I mean, even if it isn't, it quickly became about Trump. <laughs> Certainly, that's you know, it, it's you know what I think. I think it was developed, and I think it was meant to kill a lot of people. 
And I think for some reason, they didn't expect Americans to survive it as well as we do. Because hmm. it, doesn't it seem like the death rate is a lot higher in other countries and in New York? I don't know. Well, the death rate per population, certainly in New York, because they... they um exposed a lot of the the older people to it with with uh stupid Cuomo's you know yeah policies and stuff but I I don't see how the, you can call um, that anything but murder but the um it seems to me that the you know like I look at for example um and I don't have a lot of them you know for the various countries but the like in South mm. Korea the case mortality rate uh you know it's a little bit under three percent um the United States case mortality rate seems to be a little bit un- it, it, a little bit under 3% and dropping as we continue to test more and find more cases. What are you talking about 3.7? You know, 3%. I have, look, look, here, let's... It's like 0. 0.0-something percent. Hold on, hold on. And I don't even trust those numbers. So I'm just typing in COVID cases and deaths United States. I'll go straight to the CDC. Okay, total deaths, 157631, so about 157,000. Total cases, 4,802,491. Divide 100 times, 3.2%. I keep seeing people... That can't be right, because I keep seeing less than 0.1%. I keep seeing that too. I don't know where people are coming from that. I've never seen numbers that say that. I'm trying real hard to find where those numbers are. Because I keep seeing, you know, like on Twitter and stuff, I keep seeing seeing, seeing people say that. And it's like, where are you guys getting this? Because I can't, I can't find that anywhere. Now it could be that that's based like on an estimate. Like for example, suppose CDC is estimating that there are ten times as many cases as there are that there are ten times as many infections as there are cases. Because what we can calculate absolutely is the case mortality rate. The number of cases, mm-hmm. or the number of, of deaths divided by the number of cases. What we have to estimate is the infection mortality rate, and to do that, you have to estimate the denominator. I mean, the, the death rate is the same either way, but the infection rate, you have to estimate. Well, how many more infections are there than the ones that you catch through testing? And it's it could be the estimations of that that are coming in with numbers that are like less than, than you know 0.1% and stuff like that. But the actual case well, mortality rate seems to be about the same everywhere. I know I know where I know where we're getting it. Okay. Take out the number of deaths from New York. Then suddenly your your case fatality rate goes way way down. Well, what do you mean? Let's let's pretend New York doesn't exist okay. and get rid of those numbers. Okay, hold on. Let's let's let me let me write down real quick here. Um, <clears throat> so we've got in New New York. I'm looking at the same CDC site. New York confirmed cases two two three four seven three, and uh, oh wait, no, that's New York City only. Um, okay, uh, New. It's not showing me. Let me. I gotta probably click over here to find the actual cases and deaths in New York. Total deaths: eight thousand eight hundred sixty-eight. New York City alone confirmed deaths: eighteen thousand nine hundred thirty-eight. How can you have more confirmed deaths in New York City alone than you have in the whole state of New York? I don't get it. The CDC is doing something funny with the numbers here. So take thirty-two thousand out of the national deaths. How many deaths are in the U.S.? COVID deaths. 
Okay, so yeah. 157, 631 minus the U.S. Min, yeah, minus 32,000. Yeah. So we have 125,000 and change. But then you got to take the cases out of New York too and subtract yeah. those. So 4802491. How many cases are in New York? New York confirmed 423,000. Okay, so it's a little bit less than 3% instead of a little bit more than 3% for the rest of the nation in terms of case mortality rate. But that's interesting. You said 32,000 deaths and 437, no, 423,000 cases. That means the New York case fatality rate is upwards of 7.5%. So it sucks to live in New York. Okay, so now, okay... Um, really badly sucks to look at these York. numbers. <laughs> um, we've got about a hundred thousand confirmed cases in Ohio. Okay. We've got about thirty five hundred deaths in Ohio. Right. Three and a half percent. What kind? Okay. Tracking like everybody else. I. Uh, you know where? You know why I think the the smaller number is. If you take out all of the nursing home deaths, it ends up being less than 0.01%. Well, it could be that. Or maybe it was 0.02%. It it could be that. But I I heard a statistic somewhere that that estimates are that 10 times as many people actually have it are infected as are confirmed. Because for so many people, there's no reason to test for it, even if they have it, unless they've got symptoms that they're worried about spreading it to someone. So if I've thought that from the start, we both and the have. other thing I, which would think is know, that make the case, which would make the infection mortality rate more like 0.3 percent instead of three percent. Yeah, I also don't believe the number of deaths. Well, I I know it's wrong. Well, yeah, we, we know, know about it. we know about the misreporting of the, you know and inclusion of stupid stuff as COVID related, and and that's one of the things is. Um, we should understand that these deaths are reported. You, you can even see it on the CDC site. I forget where it is that they uh, they break it down, but they have uh, what are called COVID-related deaths, yeah, um, which are COVID not related. the same thing as COVID-caused deaths. Now, there's two things about that. First of all, it is COVID-related, which anytime a person dies with COVID-19, that could be categorized as COVID-related. The second thing is, mm-hmm. the CDC doesn't examine these cases. The CDC doesn't look at each individual death and decide whether it's COVID-related. These are reported as COVID-related or not by local coroners and, and medical examiners and departments of health and that kind of stuff and then aggregated upwards through the state departments of health and finally to the CDC. And the hospitals. And hospitals and so forth. Yeah. In fact, the determination often is probably made by a hospital administrator. Yeah. Who gets more money if a COVID patient dies in their mm-hmm. hospital? They get more money if... I don't if, know why. If they have to use a ventilator. They get more money if they have a COVID patient. And I think they get money if a, if, if a COVID patient dies. Yeah. So... It's insane. Yep. I, I just... <clears throat> I, I've gotten to the point where I don't believe anything. It's, I, I know yeah, how I know many people... <laughs> And I know, I only know of one person who's had it that I can per- have a personal connection with. Yeah. Our I... cousin is the only person that I know of that I've met who has had COVID. Oh, really? One person who, who 
Who do you know that has it? Scott. Huh. Didn't know that. He had it. Uh, He tested positive. That's the only person I know personally who has tested positive. And there's always people, when you say it, they say, oh, I knew this guy and I knew this guy. And everybody knows a lot of people, but I don't know anyone but you know, other than this one guy who's had COVID. I also got a question. The the people who who receive, who do the test and then they mm-hmm. receive their notification, you tested positive. I got to question that because we, we're... We've been getting over the past few weeks these incidents, you know, minor incident reports of people who go in for that they schedule to go in for a test because they need it for this or that or the other. Uh, mm-hmm. The line's too long, so they leave, decide I'm not going to have it tested, and then they receive a positive result notification in the mail. Yeah. So yeah. Like, I I, Wait a minute. I know of one person who that happened to. So if that's happening. How many of the people who really did go in and take the test, did get the swab and everything, how many of those positives are bogus? Yeah. And in Florida, they keep reporting, well, there were 300 different sites, all of them reported 100% positive positive. <laughs> it's like, come no, on. Why are we even paying attention to these numbers? Yeah, why, why do we... It's so silly. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the thing is, the higher the positive, um, the, the higher the real test positive cases are, the lower that means the case mortality rate is. The lower the real positive yeah, cases are, the higher it means it is. But but you're right. The, given, given the reality of what's been going on, we don't really have any right to test the numbers that are there on, on the... Uh, you know, on the computer in front of us, even if it's coming from yeah. the CDC. Because like I said, the CDC, even if they have very competent doctors and administrators and, and epidemiologists and everything which working they for don't. them, which, you know, that's questionable itself, all they are aggregators. They're not, they don't yeah. review these cases. Yeah. They probably wow. provide some level of guidance or guidelines, you know, to, to the various departments of health to help determine some of these things. Um, but, you know, it's it's not like just because it's from the CDC, it's therefore authoritative. I, the whole thing is just, there's so much lying going on that I, I've finally decided I, I'm just not going to believe any of it. So anyway, <laughs> life goes on in other areas too. So there's this deal with TikTok. I guess Trump uh, decided he's going to ban TikTok mm-hmm. within America. I don't see how he can do that. But China uh, agrees to divest itself from TikTok because of Trump's ban. And don't trust that. Somehow, uh, Bill Gates gets involved and he's going to handle TikTok from now on. I wouldn't trust Bill Gates at all. He, he, might just well be an agent of China. The, you know, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing that you have to understand about China. Um, the Chinese government, uh, communism aside, Marxism aside, the Chinese government works with Chinese companies to actively engage in industrial espionage against companies from other countries. If you visit yeah. China. Anything you leave in your room, any electronic device, will be open, fiddled with, 
fiddled with, turned on, searched. If you have a flash drive that you leave there, it will be plugged into a computer and searched to see if there's anything recognizable or of interest. Um, if your cell phone has, you know, Bluetooth Wi-Fi capability, they will have devices around the hotels that are trying to break into your phone. The Chinese government is is consistently active in industrial espionage on behalf of itself and its own countries. If you want to yeah. export, uh, a, you know, a device to China, uh, if you want to, uh, you know, sell something, let's say, um, let's say your cell phone, uh, let's say you're an American cell phone manufacturer, um, and you make cell phones that are really nice and cool, and they've got, you know, uh, in order to kind of lock down and make sure that the uh, operating system that boots up is really the one that you authorized for it because you don't want people messing with your cell phone. Uh, I'm thinking Apple here. And um, so you've got secret keys that are like hardwired into your um, microprocessor and other keys that are uh, used to sign the bootable um, operating system and so on and so forth. If you want to sell that device in China, you have to take all of those secret keys and register them with the Chinese government, and then you can sell yeah. your device. Manufacturers, when, when they want to be part of the Chinese market because they realize how bad of a, of a you know, security risk this puts them in, they actually come up with two different devices. They'll have the one device... That, that has all of the keys that are compromised because they have to sell it to give them to the Chinese government. So they've got the Chinese compromise device. That's what they, they sell the Chinese in Chinese. Chinese and the China. U.S. versions. And then they've got yeah. the other device that they keep the keys secret themselves, and they sell that everywhere else in the world. So yeah. it's not just China-U.S., it's China and everybody else because the Chinese government and you know won't let you sell something unless you give them, up, give them all of your keys. So, so sure, if there's a Chinese company that's, you know, putting out a product like TikTok or whatever, uh, yeah, assume that it's got stuff in it that's designed to try to gather intelligence. Assume that. It would be foolish not to. And the fact that Bill Gates is going to be a part of it now doesn't help at all. No, no, he's, he's, uh, he and, and what's his wife's name? Yeah, Melinda, I can't remember. Melinda or something like or that. Something. Yeah, I mean, they've been on their globalization. Yeah. Um, There's uh, you know, a dangerous group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and especially, you know, uh, all of their work in, in Africa and stuff, trying to peddle contraceptives and, and, and suppress yeah. the growth of, of um, third world populations in order to make them more manageable so that in their globalist uh, scheming, yeah. they, you know... <clears throat> yeah, that, that that Bill Gates would be involved shouldn't make anybody um, breathe any uh, easier. Yeah. Well, uh, here's this is kind of funny. So Lee Man He, uh, he's a pastor in the Church of Jesus in I guess this is South Korea. He was arrested for hiding contact information from virus trackers and embezzling. 5.6 billion won. Isn't that a weird story? Or a weird way to report the story? Wait a minute. Re- read that again. <laughs> Lee Man He Le- okay. is a pastor. He's a pastor in a little church. 
Lee Man Hee is arrested for allegedly hiding contact information from virus trackers. And for and embezzling. embezzling. Why would you lead with the point. contact stuff? <laughs> <That's> stupid. <laughs> why would you even mention <laughs> yeah, why it? Why would you bring it up? It's why. <laughs> million uh, won. I don't know how much that is. It's about the equivalency of uh, $4.5 million. About that. That's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Why would you even talk about the virus trackers? Such a stupid world we live in. You know, somebody on. on, uh... Hold on. So DeWine was supposed to meet with Trump, and. Yeah, Trump was coming to Ohio. yeah, I didn't even know. I was up there in Cleveland. In fact, I even saw the tr- I tweet have stayed. Trump himself said, okay, heading off to the great state of Ohio. What happened? Well, I didn't know. Well, uh, this morning he said, I don't feel good. So he took a COVID test and he said he tested positive so he can't meet with Trump. And then oh, a DeWine few did. hours ago he said, yeah. And then a few hours ago DeWine said, whoops, it was a false positive. Oh, he's a, he's a snake. He's a bad guy. I, d- I don't know of anyone. I I think this guy is such a bad person. He is so much worse than the Democrats. You think he was just doing that to weasel out of meeting with Trump? I I I wouldn't I wouldn't think why not. I mean, I, there's there's no reason to think he's being honest. I know, but why not meet with Trump? I mean, is is he again? Is he anti-Trump? I don't think he is publicly. He can't be because he needs to get re. Elected, yeah, he needs the endorsement but everything the he does is hurting Trump. He's hurting Ohio. He's hurting all the citizens here in Ohio. He's a bad person. I just can't think of anyone more bad. There's no way. Oh, I well, I know he has lied about COVID numbers. Uh huh. He called Lebanon a hot spot because their percentage of cases went up fifty percent. You know what that means? Instead of one case, they had two cases. Well, that would have been 100%. It must be instead of two, they have three now. Maybe something like that. (laughs) Or even... It was some kind of high percentage. The point is... They have 1,500. He lied. Nothing. He's fudging the numbers and he's lying. And he's... it's. He said that county was a hot spot. So, you know, the newspapers, they call the Board of Health there, and they're like, what are you talking about? And and the guy, Board of Health guy gets on the phone, and he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. We're not a hot spot. And then he calls, and he gets the real numbers, and he said, this is not a hot spot. I don't know why he's saying that. Uh, but it's just the fact that he would lie about these things. Oh, and he's man. doing all kinds of things that are completely illegal, and I, I, don't, I don't understand supposedly his numbers are up in the 70s his approval rating i just can't wow. believe that man it's because nobody's I, actually I, reading anything 70 that's like that's like those foreign countries where the the guy gets elected by 80 percent of the vote yeah you know it's you know bogus. that's not real yeah. there's no that way that's real yeah yeah so i don't know whatever he's a bad guy uh did you hear about in berlin a whole bunch of people uh took their masks off and uh to to protest the laws Mm -hmm. and i guess i i guess they kind of got shut down i don't know i heard a bunch of people took their masks off and gathered and then but according to the news it was shut down 
crowd. Yeah, <laughs> you know, here's the CNN. This, this gives you. They're acting like it's shut down. No, it was not shut no. down. But but there's, there's thousands and millions of people not wearing yep. masks. And and CNN. Here's here's how how CNN leads the, the the first sentence. This is the news report. This isn't a a um, opinion piece or an editorial about it. A large crowd of far-right groups gathered for a sit-in at Berlin's iconic Brandenburg Gate on Saturday to protest against the German government's coronavirus restrictions. I mean, that's that's what we're dealing with here in the American media, um, that they have to brand anything that doesn't go along with what they want you to do as far-right. And you look at these pictures, there's hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And they're all, yeah, I know. That's, it was a huge gathering. <clears throat> huh. So, well. All right. Uh, Good for Berliners. So I guess. I'm glad I looked that I up. I guess they, <laughs> they, you know, they tore the Berlin Wall down. And then this happens. They, they said, we didn't tear that wall down in order to have this. Yeah. So we're not going to yeah. put up with it. <clears throat> well, good for Berlin. Uh, so 8,000 people are evacuated out of Cherry Valley, California, uh, because of a wildfire. Oh. Uh, they're calling it the Apple Fire because I think it started on an apple, uh, apple plant. Oh, okay. No, it was, uh... Oh, a plant. I think it was an apple factory okay. or something like that. Apple company, not apple. <laughs> I don't even know why. I don't know why they name these different fires, <laughs> but... Um, you don't need to name fires like you do hurricanes. Yeah, but yeah, it's funny how um, I it, we don't have these problems in other states. Yeah. It's not like California is more dry than all the other states. There's plenty of other states that are drier and have just as much forestry as California. But we don't have these problems in other states because we take care of our land. And California will not clear out brush. They won't. They won't do anything to prevent these fires. Uh, Trump keeps talking about it, but they're, yeah. I don't know. What do you do? Well, as soon as Trump I mean, suggests it, of course they can't do it now because they have to say everything Trump says is yeah. stupid. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So they're okay. There's there's some new footage from the George Floyd, <clears throat> and it oh the uh, leaked body cam. Yeah. Did it, you watch it? Remember when we first talked? I no, I didn't even watch oh, okay. it. Okay. Remember when we first started talking about this, we said how weird it is that this cop didn't look like he was trying to hurt. He had this weird look as if as if he's not mad at the guy. Yeah. He doesn't look like he's trying to hurt right. him. He looks like he's trying to detain him. It's just that he's got his knee on the guy's neck. Right. Exactly. And the guy is obviously having some kind of trouble. It, so you think okay. you're an idiot. Get your knee off his neck. Now, even that makes sense. Okay, yeah. you know, we, we, I won't endorse putting your uh, your knee on the neck. Although, you know what, what is interesting? I tried to look up. I, I thought, you know, there's got to be some kind of context here. The, there's There's got to be either a time when or places where or both. Um, part of police tactical training involved showing, you know, training to use, you know, restricting the neck as, yeah. as a means of... of um, of uh, physical uh, restraint, and the reason that makes sense to me, and not not makes sense in the sense that it it's necessarily safe, but in terms of an effective physical restraint, is that if you kneel on somebody anywhere else, uh, they're able to get some part of them moving that they could use, you know, for momentum 
to try to throw you off them or whatever. If you, if their neck is pinned, yeah. there's almost nothing at all they can do. It's it's a, it's a very effective, you know, assuming that their hands are, yeah. are behind their back or whatever. If, if their hands are free, all bets are off, you know. They, <laughs> but but yeah. assuming you've got their hands, you kneel on their neck and they're, you know, um, you know, they can't really do anything then to, to shake you off or whatever. I can't even find anything that talks about that except everybody who, after the incident, is coming out and saying, we train our guys not to do this. We don't allow this. And so on and so forth. It's like, okay, well, if you don't allow it, if you have a policy of not allowing it, that means it's a thing that was once done. Why can't I find anything talking about, you know, where it was developed and, and, and when police agencies did use it and when they decided to stop using it. That kind of, all I find is the denunciations that occur after this. That makes me almost suspect that maybe it's it's actually still taught in a lot of police academies. Well, I, I keep hearing cops call in to places, you know, and say, oh, we have never done that. You're right. All they do is deny. They act like there's a definite rule against it. Except if there's the guy was yeah. clearly doing it. It's weird. There was that other video where a guy was, you know, using that in order to, to keep the guy down while somebody else cuffed him or something like that. It's like I, I gotta think somewhere it's it's out there. Why won't anybody talk about that? But anyway, re- they look so calm about regardless. it. Regardless, yeah, that's the thing. And now it's like you know he's he's laying there. I can't breathe and stuff like that. While the cop is just kind of calmly kneeling on his neck. Well, the reason is because he was saying that exact same stuff while he was in the police car. While he was refusing to to allow himself to be in far enough to shut both doors because they, you know, they want to put him in, strap him in, shut the doors, and he's not cooperating. He's he's, you know, moving around and he's saying, "I can't breathe." It, it's just whacked out drugs stuff. So he was saying that the whole time. It wasn't the whole time. It was like after he was in the car, he started saying it a little bit before they pulled him out of the car and put him on the ground. But he was saying crazy stuff the whole time. So his demeanor, the way he was saying it, the level of stress that he was saying it while the guy was kneeling on his neck, the same as everything that was going on before they kneeled on his neck. So sure, there was no... There was nothing in there to cue them that he might be in some kind of different kind of distress than what it was when they first took him out of his car. Yeah, it's a... I, I, I just got to wonder if if it's even possible for that guy to get a fair trial. And I'm not saying he deserves anything. I don't know. But from the very start, I thought it looks weird how calm he is just kneeling on the guy. Yeah. And it, they, I think you pointed out, it's as if he's waiting for something. Mm-hmm. Like an ambulance to show up or something. Which they did. Which they did. After he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> but it, the whole thing was so bizarre. And all I could really say, all we could really say at the time, is this cop is is just, a, this cop is an idiot. Yeah, that's, that's all. The whole, that, that's the only thing he said. And certainly can't say anything racist about anything that went on. I mean, yeah, there's nothing there to indicate race. Yeah, that's which goes back to my statement: these riots aren't about race anyway; they're about Trump. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I, they keep getting worse, and we keep doing less about it. And I, yeah, that's weird. I don't know. I think I think a lot of people are ducking their heads and thinking 
when we reelect Trump and we reelect a bunch of uh, we elect a bunch of other uh, Republicans, they'll make this stuff stop. And I don't think people understand they have a responsibility. Not only that, but the more chaos there is with riots and, and other stuff going on, the more violence there is and so forth, the more noise is going to conceal the kinds of election fraud that could steal the White House yeah. from Trump anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when your city's being burned, you're not really thinking about mail-in ballots. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, a couple of mail trucks got turned over and torched. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, somebody might have made sure those I've... mail trucks had, you know, 50,000 Trump ballots in them or something like that. I, you know, yeah. I don't want to sound too tinfoil hat, but, you know, the the more chaos there is, the easier it is to to perpetrate some kind of fraud and hide it. Yeah. Which we know they're doing. Yeah. I mean, we catch it all the time. I don't... Did you ever read that... I don't know. I, did you I, ever read the book by the Collier brothers from down in Florida, Kenneth and James Collier? I don't Collier, think so. Vote, uh, vote Scam, The Stealing of America? No, I uh, haven't. It was a, a favorite of Jim Condit's. Anyway, um, I read it when I was, you know, about 18. Um, mm-hmm. Very interesting book. They, it tells their story and then it contains a few like follow-up stories about specific means by which election uh you know frauds were perpetrated with various uh vote counting systems and that kind of stuff that you know in certain counties and so forth um but what's interesting about it is that the and this is why you know i kind of hope to get attention back on to to this idea of of uh, building public confidence in elections through you know reliability. Um, these two guys were liberals. They were like the political opposites of us. Yeah. And they like one of them decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and run for you know. It's it's like they they were like hippies, but at some point they decided, well, wait a minute, we're just assuming that the system's bad and you can't work within it. Let's test that hypothesis. I'm going to run for office. And so one ran. I think the other one was his campaign manager or something like that. And and that's when they mm-hmm. they, they got into it and started seeing it. Um, but but it's it's like we're saying it happens. They said it happens. Both of them met some kind of untimely death after publishing this book. Um, Jeez. And these are these are coming from opposite sides of the political you know spectrum. Yeah. So it happens. Well, we know it happens when a Democrat loses because the Democrats tell us it happens whenever they lose. <laughs> you know? And, I don't know and what we, happens when a Democrat we, we, wins, <laughs> but. That's right. We know it happens when it, they lose because they tell us. We And we can, we can infer it happens when they win because. We don't like to think people are that stupid, but... <laughs> yeah. That's all the news I got. Okay, well, that's... I got one, uh... <laughs> I got one, uh, nonsense news, and... Okay. <laughs> it's a Walmart story. Oh, great. <laughs> but you're gonna... That place is like another <laughs> world. It's so... I know, I mean, I could do all the things, like, there's so it's many like, videos of people, uh, like... 
people with masks like getting into the faces and, and, and accosting people without masks and, and denouncing them and stuff like that. And, and I see the videos, they yeah. all happen at Walmarts. But, <laughs> but this one is actually a little bit different. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so, in, uh, North Vers, okay, I don't know whether they say their town named North Versailles or North Versailles, but it's spelled that way. In North Versailles, North Pencil- Versailles. Pennsylvania, um, some uh, people uh, who weren't going to be allowed to um, have their regular uh, church worship service, obviously not Catholics, in their church because of the mm-hmm. restrictions that the, the state uh, has in play, decided to go ahead to the Walmart where the restrictions don't apply and have their church service there. Ah, <laughs> oh, good idea. That's great. That is a great idea. Did Walmart throw them out, or what as did far Walmart as I know, do? no. Somebody just, uh, you know, recorded it. They were singing, you know, great, you know, gospel songs and stuff like that. I, I don't think it was. Yeah. I don't think anybody found it objectionable. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't know why that's awesome, but it is. <laughs> we could go have mass at Walmart. <laughs> I don't know if we could. We have got mass Catholics at Walmart, in aisle four got... and Presbyterians right. in aisle five. <laughs> There you go. Which religion there you are you? Go. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got. Talk about cafeteria Catholics. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that would, well, that's a great I'll idea. I'll meet at the MCL. <laughs> I'll have to get the video and post it. That's yeah. good. All right. Well, man, oh, it's not that late. It's only 11. Nope. I worked, and between Tuesday and Wednesday, I worked 30 hours. Oh. Um, and then today I thought, oh, I'm going to sleep. And then we did this. But I had a meeting oh. earlier, and then we did this now. Well, I think I'm just going to sleep through all Friday. I'm not even getting up to answer the phone. There you go. Turn your phone off. I'll tell you what. If you want a good appreciation for the town you live in, visit Cleveland for a couple days. Really? That place is nuts. Is it? It's just little weird things. Like, I went to four restaurants... And I go to drive throughs anyway. I don't like eating, mm-hmm. especially when I'm alone. So I, four different carryout orders. Not one restaurant gave me a napkin. Seriously? Why is it, that's, that's weird? You always put a couple of napkins in the bag. Yeah, I maybe in Cleveland they don't wipe their uh, face. Yeah, or whatever. You know, maybe they don't wipe anything in Cleveland. And then I go to one restaurant, and, and she says uh, we're credit card only. And I said okay. I order my food. I get down to the end to pay for it. And she says, uh, do you want to know the total? I said, I don't care about the total, but I need a receipt. She said, oh, I can't give you a receipt. <laughs> I said, what? You can't give credit me a receipt? card, but Why not? Receipt? Well, the computer isn't working. Then how are they doing credit card? Yeah. I said, you just told me no cash, and now you're telling me you can't give me a receipt. Can you see how much sense this makes? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's kids. You know, kids are yeah. stupid. You know, I, when you said Cleveland, I thought, you know, I, I think of Cleveland as just kind of industrial, dirty, you know. But I well, didn't know it, they were stupid, it, too. It's an, it's an industrial part of town, anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in a factory doing some work. Yeah. Um, but I, I said, all right, well, you need to write something out. I can't do this if you're not going to give me a receipt. So she wrote down the amount and everything. What I was getting. Yeah. She didn't add it up. I don't think she knew how to add. But uh, And then I, I go to Lowe's, 
I get my stuff, and they've got 20 people there, but they only got two registers open. And it, I, I waited. I needed the stuff to finish my job. Yeah. So I waited 20 minutes, and I finally they checked me out, and she takes all my stuff and puts it over on the table and says, all right, and as if to say, go on now, get out of here. Huh. And I said, you're going to give me a bag? And she goes, no, we ain't got no bags. <laughs> she said it no, so nonchalantly, like... Like, it's not weird that you don't have bags. <laughs> like, go fucking get me a bag. Hey, you gotta edit that. I gotta beep that yes. out. I'll just... <laughs> just make it go get me a bag. <laughs> go get me a bag. Uh, but it, it's just... It was over and over again. Little things yeah, like that. Like the- I get to the hotel. It's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I had to go back to my hotel to get something, and I... Wanted some coffee because I'm going to be up for the next ten hours yeah. anyway. So you and okay, they I'm got like coffee in the lobbies. They always do. They should. Mm-hmm. I said, "Do you got any coffee?" No, we don't serve coffee during the day. <laughs> Man. Okay, when do you serve coffee? <laughs> I guess that night. <laughs> Can you just make some? <laughs> make some and put it there. <laughs> The whole city. It's it's a weird city. Maybe it was just one coincidence after another that it happened to me. Maybe. Uh, Anybody live in Cleveland? It just seemed like the. uh, You know, uh, right right in and let us know what's going on. (laughs) I mean, I got done at 8. I thought, that's going to put me home at midnight. And that's a long drive. I'm tired. But I want to get back to Cincinnati. So I'm going to go ahead and drive tonight on three hours of right, sleep right yeah but get, get back where things make sense i need to get yeah out of the twilight <laughs> zone all right so well i think that's it uh i think that's it and uh hopefully we'll see you again next week don't know what we'll talk about but uh it'll be we'll good find something and as always circle the beads yeah bye for